Hey, Jesse. Graham, we failed. No, we didn't. If we convinced even one person, then we succeeded. Right, Zach? Graham, you failed. <laughs> This is the Electric Grandmother's TV Party Podcast, and this is our episode of this podcast in which we cover all TV shows that have social protest as a central theme of the episode. So some kind of activism is undertaken by folks who normally don't, as was the style at the time. Yeah, that kind of was the style at the time, wasn't <laughs> there was, it? There was a good uh, 30 or so years where people didn't do anything. Well, I, th- I feel like uh, 60 Years Nostalgia was at its height uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Yes, and that is in part because all sitcom writers and producers were baby boomers at the time and mm-hmm. were kind of it had more control over the zeitgeist than than they ever would before or since. So they t- they seized the moment, really forced it down everybody's And throat. they really taught us <laughs> about the 60s. <laughs> I want to preface this entire discussion by saying that we are on day 11 of our self-imposed quarantine from the COVID-19 virus. We recorded about half of a different episode in which of the party, the TV party podcast in which we were doing all TV shows where people had to stay inside for extended periods of time and we were finding that it just put us in bad moods. So. Yeah, it, w- it, it, it didn't fire. <laughs> not, not really. So we decided to do something more positive and this was one that we wanted to do for a while in part because of the second two episodes we're going to cover. Which is not to take anything away from Head of the Class, Season 2, Episode 4, Child of the 60s, original air date October 14th, 1987. This is our very first Head of the Class is that right? Uh, I, I believe so, yes. And Head of the Class is a TV show that was not syndicated for years and years and years. You weren't able to see it. They never released it on DVD to any extent. As far as far No, first season? Not at all. Not at all. They never released it on DVD. Uh, and Pete and I were lucky enough to come across a... This is like three, four years ago now. Five, six mm-hmm. years ago now. Th- come across... Uh, somebody's selling bootleg copies of original broadcasts of Head of the Class on the internet. And he's, for what country was it from? You don't know? I don't remember. Okay. The truly magical thing about this was not only were we treated to a show that was part of our, a, a central part of our TV viewing growing up, but also it included all the TV commercials from that time, including all the bumpers introducing other shows that were coming up on Friday. And oh, it was just 
it was so nice that that winter we spent watching <laughs> those right. DVDs. Yeah, I, I have such warm feelings from that time. Unfortunately, it wasn't all episodes. No. It was only a portion of them. So fast forward to about a year ago when we got uh, Comcast cable and then had Antenna TV which we hadn't had for a long time. And sure enough, they'd been showing Head of the Class the entire series over and over again. And now we have them all saved on DVR. Yeah, so that that was really convenient. And some are available on YouTube. So Head of the Class is a show that is dated but also holds up. So I I would put it maybe in the same category as Family Ties, where it's clearly very much of its time. But it's not unrelatable. Like it, it doesn't seem like there are a bunch of aliens sitting around talking to each other. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's cheesy at times, but it's also not a hard watch. Yeah. No. It's it's excellent. The basic premise of the show is that a free thinking teacher takes over an honors high school program in New York City with these very smart kids and calamity ensues and he teaches them history that there is life outside of the classroom yeah and and he 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 takes a non-traditional view of history teaching where he teaches them a lot of social context and about like weird shit that happened in the midst of bigger historical things like baseball and the cuban missile crisis was it right that was yeah. the first episode <laughs> yeah. So he made them all believe this. This episode starts out with uh, Mr. Moore giving one of his lectures in his classroom. And this one happens to be about the 60s. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in American history, American history kind of stopped with World War Two in, in class. But uh, I guess, you know, even even then in the 80s, uh, Mr. Moore insisted on bringing that curriculum into his classroom. Yeah, I don't. I remember there was a teacher that played us the recording of Simon and Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence, and that had something to do with the 60s, and then and another teacher uh, taught us about the Vietnam War, um, but that he was he was all, he was a Mr. Moore type. Right, so. right, yeah. And, and the interesting thing about this is Mr. Moore is talking on and on about the 60s, and he mentions the fact that it is difficult to understand... 20 years later. 20 years <laughs> later. Oh, shit. <laughs> At that point, it was 19 years, because they were focused on 1968. We, we've discussed philosophically, you and me, about how culture doesn't have these shifts uh, in these short periods of time anymore, and we think it's largely due to uh, how we're connected, uh, social media, And also and how internet, we have access mm-hmm. to all of the past. Right, so it it sort of gets mixed in with you know it's, our culture is a hodgepodge of a bunch of old older influences, I guess. Yeah. Or well, in in say like nineteen fifty and nineteen sixty, there was no real pop cultural template, and right. then in the seventies, things started replicating. They started repeating themselves and being influenced by things because the things, you know, you had the fifties, which was kind of the square approach to rock and roll, which was seen as very salacious at least at first, and then the sixties were kind of a response to that. It's like, oh, you thought that was badass? Wait till you see this. And then by the seventies, you have a generation of people who grew up on the very early rock and roll. So then they started creating you know music that was 
obviously very influenced by that early rock and roll. So it, it's, and I think we've gotten to, by the end of the 90s, we'd sort of gotten to the point where we'd lapped ourselves so many times that we were out of ideas. <laughs> and that the, 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 previous, the previous templates were so good that we just recycled them. I mean, we may be biased here, but again, <laughs> yeah. it seems like the 90s were the last decade of culture. Yeah. And now we're just spinning around and getting COVID-19. As a result, it seems like the the chasm between the 60s and the 80s seems like a billion, million, trillion years. I remember it at the time. I was like, the, the what these? The 60s? Yeah, this just seemed like ancient history. Yeah. But then... Like between the eighties and now, it doesn't seem nearly as is strangely disconnected. But it's from two each of other. those, yeah. And that's that's just darn sad. Yeah. So anyway, so Mr. Moore says something interesting, and and I should point out too that Mr. Moore is very obviously a classic baby boomer, and all of his students are dead center generation X. So right. just to contextualize that, Mr. Moore says it's hard to understand the 60s now 20 years later can you imagine how difficult it would be to understand in a thousand years as if in a thousand years anybody would care about the 1960s <laughs> it's so boomer centric it's it's like pretty outstanding yeah it's pretty self-congratulatory yeah definitely so uh alan is one of the students in the head of the class and he is what I have always thought of in my brain as the white Carlton Banks. He's very much the white Carlton Banks. He's conservative. He's straight laced. He's like, he even kind of looks like Carlton. <laughs> he dresses like him. It's very, very, very similar. It's a classic Republican character in a sitcom yeah. from Alex P. Keaton to Carlton. To Carlton Banks. Yeah. And Alan pipes up and says, look, what happened in the 60s was a whole generation of wasted time and tear gas. Yeah. And then, of course, Mr. Moore defends it, and then the class ends. On their way out, Dennis, the doofusy computer nerd, the, like kind of like a large doofus, he's hitting up everyone for money. Uh, that's one of his personalities. Well, he's a troublemaker. Yeah, he's a troublemaker. He's sarcastic. He's a class clown. He's... He's chubby. He's everything he's, in yeah, one. But he also is constantly hitting up people for money. Right. And usually the reason that he's hitting... And this crosses episodes. It's not just for the convenience of this plot. He is always trying to get food. Like mm -hmm. from not the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. So of course this, uh, this show takes place in Manhattan, New York. So there's plenty of options right in the immediate area for them to have lunch besides the cafeteria. Hey, Jorhala, buddy. How are the folks? Sorry, Dennis, I'm broke. <laughs> Mr. Moore, small favor? How small? Three bucks for a burger from Izzy's. Oh, but you can't leave for lunch. I phone them and they deliver it. Well, what's wrong with the cafeteria, Dennis? Oh, no, I'm not a cafeteria kind of guy. The baked beans are green, the hot dogs have rabies. So Dennis, uh, you know, asks a couple of people whether he can borrow some money and they all say no. So then he ends up in line in the cafeteria. When he's waiting in line, he's still cracking wise about how terrible the food is. And then a couple of preppies start, you know, hassling him for Holding keeping up the up line. The line. Yeah. yeah. And then 
this starts a food fight. Legs! Don't mind breaking up the nerd convention. We're trying to get some lunch here. I'm sorry. <laughs> just back off, Eraserhead. Hey, shouldn't you be floating over to Monday Night Football game? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just gonna have a piece of pie here. Oh, little pie. Look at this clown. He takes the whole pie. Oh, it is <laughs> selfish of me. I should share. I, I don't know. <laughs> now, we could do an entire episode on food fights. That could be fun. Yeah. But that is not the topic of conversation no. here. So we will move on quickly. Next thing you know, we are in Dr. Samuel's office. Dr. Samuel's is the school principal who is very hands-on with the uh, honors class. There is pride and joy. Yes. He's obsessed with them. Dennis is there and he's covered in dessert. Whatever possessed you to start a food fight in the cafeteria? Dr. Samuels, I did not start any food fight. I was trying to get... Someone standing! <laughs> I was... I was protesting. Yeah, I was protesting the quality of the food in the cafeteria. And he says that he was protesting how bad the food was. And Dr. Samuels kind of pushes Dennis into admitting that he was influenced, of course, by whom? Charlie Moore. Dr. Dr. Moore. Mr. Moore, Mr. Moore's uh, evil influence has has led to this kind of tomfoolery. Cut to the classroom. We, Mr. Moore is wrapping up another one of his <clears throat> lectures, and he's talking about like a handful of different protests that actually resulted in positive change. The class ends, and Mr. Moore confronts Dennis on using the '60s. The, the stuff that they were learning in class about the 60s as an excuse to get out of trouble and then gives him like a bunch of material to read. Soul on Ice? Yeah, it's Eldridge Cleaver's book on the Black Power Movement. A videotape, medium cool? Haskell Wexler, docudrama on the uh, Chicago Democratic Convention in 68. Bringing it all back home. Yes, Bob Dylan, it's sort of a landmark 60s album. <laughs> Martin Luther King's Letters from Montgomery Jail, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. Thanks a lot, Mr. Moore. I really appreciate all this, and I'll be sure to get to it sometime in the near future. Well, I hope so, Dennis, because the near future is Monday morning. That's when I'll expect a written impression on each of those topics. Cut to the classroom the next day, and Dennis walks in, and he's dressed as a hippie, and he starts passing out flowers, and he starts, you know, g giving all the generic platitudes that hippies did at the time. Peace, man. <laughs> Love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> we are stardust. We are golden. You are brain dead. <laughs> hey, make love, not war. With you, war. <laughs> I just feel so benevolent toward the human race today. Dennis, aren't you a little early for Halloween? <laughs> Janice, baby, I know my threads look a little silly to you, but I have to say that for the first time in my life, they truly reflect my inner being. It was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it wasn't... I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, it was probably fresh. I mean, it was like yeah. the same for in the 90s, and people were constantly like laughing about disco. It got pretty old. Yeah. Good call. Uh, so Mr. Moore asks Dennis what he's learned from his reading and the and the the pile of crap Moore laid on him, and Dennis admits that he didn't really read any of that. It was all a distraction. And it was pretty. 
was a distraction. Well, he was he was distracting by going in oh, okay. and acting like a hippie, yeah. distracting Mr. Moore from the fact that he actually he didn't. actually hadn't read. I thought you were talking about the stuff that he was given to read was a distraction. No. <laughs> Okay, so Dennis mentions he's uh, sick of all the the reverence to the 60s and (coughs) questions whether or not they changed anything in the real world. And at the time, I would say this all seemed like Dennis was pretty obviously in the wrong, which I think is hard to wrap your head around in our present time because we like to blame the boomers for everything and the 60s the boomers role in the 60s was total bullshit <laughs> that that's pretty much i think most people's perspective i mean you you know they didn't stop the vietnam war well no you know I, I mean i don't know like i mean there's the 60s are a potpourri of movements and I think there is some good done and some pointlessness no no doubt at all that the civil rights movement was absolutely vital to the but yeah no the 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 college students doing acid didn't yeah so the question (laughs) is like who was really responsible for that you know was it was it the college students doing acid no there was a lot of groundwork that was laid by previous generations that got them to the point where they get anyway so but but it's a it's a very boomer thing to try and take credit for all of that is is my my point yeah i mean um you know they were the first and there's a lot of back padding and uh you know self self uh oral sex <laughs> giving giving yourself of, oral a lot of sprained necks a lot of sprained necks <laughs> a lot from of sprained the 60s necks. yes <laughs> so mr moore talks very earnestly about what the goal was of a lot of these uh, attempts to change history dennis What people did in the 60s by trying to secure civil rights, by trying to end the war, was to try to make the world a better place. And they did it because they cared. Obviously, none of their work has made an impression on you. And then he indicates for like one of only a handful of times I can remember from this show that he's like mad. It was scary and uncomfortable. I didn't didn't like like it. it. That's right. (laughs) Cut to the cafeteria. Dennis is cleaning up after his food fight. And he is talking to a very cool girl. And she is ably played by Miss Lori Petty. Famous from her roles in Tank Girl, A League of Their Own, and Free Willy. Yeah, she's totally new waved out. She's, yeah, she's very cute. She's wearing like a little leather jacket. And she's got the short cropped um black hair and heavy makeup she looks just adorable she's wearing a shirt that says what club music it's a club music (laughs) aside one character who did not play a very big role in this episode named eric yeah has worn a meat men shirt i would say like every other episode i would yeah i would i would say fucking off there are what he wears it often yeah there, there are about 10 episodes where Eric is wearing a uh, Meat Men shirt, which is a punk rock band from 
that time. Yeah. So somebody knew something. Or yeah. it was just a happy accident. I, They're like, hey, this shirt looks weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough kid. I don't know. I mean, like, I think I've looked it up before, and I think, uh, it was, I don't know, a Beatman or a Beatman fan site or somebody, something like acknowledged that, like, hey, look at this. This happened. But that was it. I think that was it. Yeah. So the girl is talking about how the food in the cafeteria is not just gross, but also bad for you because of all the things. And I was looking back, I didn't realize how aware people were of some of these issues in the 80s. Hey, tell me, is the food here half as bad as it looks? Yeah. Plus, you get your minimum daily requirement of insecticides, preservatives, and artificial coloring. Great. One of those. One of those who want to live past 30, yeah. No. One of those dweebs who never gets a chance to eat because she's too damn busy reading labels. You find one ingredient with less than 15 letters in it in the food here, and I will personally carry you to school on my back for a month. Interesting visual. So why do you eat here? Oh, it's one of the few high schools that take Diners Club. Seriously. Man, it's what's available for the money I got. Half the kids in here, this is the only real meal they get all day. I just wish it could be a little less hazardous to people's health. So concern about preservatives and uh, pesticides in vegetables and things of that nature, I didn't. I thought that was not something that people started caring about until much later. Uh, they, I think there were people that did. I don't think that any high school anywhere <laughs> had cared anybody about, that, <laughs> about anything. <laughs> so she points out that she. Oh, another thing that she does is uh, Dennis sort of asks, "Well, if you hate eating the food here so much, why are you always eating here? We know why Dennis is. It's because he's broke and he." doesn't know how to spend his money wisely <laughs> but right. uh she says that you know she and a lot of other people depend on eating school lunches because they can't afford anything else they can't even afford to bring things from home which is actually a very big problem and in this time of self-quarantine one of the big reasons that schools stayed open for so long was mm -hmm. because so many kids rely on the breakfasts and lunch that they're served in schools otherwise they would go hungry which is a very sad state of affairs so yet another hard-hitting look at a real life societal problem on the tv show head of the class and good for them i mean this show was again it was it was very good. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was one of those, like, along with, you know, uh, I don't know, like, Murphy Brown and yeah. uh, the head, like, a progressive slant, slant to for it. For sure. So. Yeah. So Dennis says that she should do something, and she explains that she has. She's written letters. She's been, you know, doing a lot of good work that hasn't really resulted in anything tangible. So then Dennis decides that he's going to do something and then we get a montage of Dennis trying to work through the system I think to the tune of London there are chemicals in the air does it stop you from breathing yeah yeah I wish I could tell you what song it was but I don't know I, enough Bob Dylan to be able to do uh, yeah I, I I mean it's it's, it's the Johnny's one that on you're the pavement thinking about the government. <laughs> yeah, it's the. Uh, I, I don't know the name of that song the either. The one where it's like just kind of like an acoustic guitar. He's like, yep, dip, dip, dip. You know that one? <laughs> We're going to get a lot of angry letters. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> Bring it on. Then there's a. Uh, I wanted to make a ketchup as a vegetable joke. 
Isn't that a? That's a real thing. I thought that was a myth. Maybe. No, that was a that, that was a real thing. Yeah, Reagan. I mean, I knew uh, this was a real part thing, of their, but I thought yeah. it was like maybe misinterpreted or exaggerated. Uh, there was a kernel of truth to it at the very yeah, least. The Reagan administration uh, rule. So Dennis tracks Mr. Moore down, and he gives him a laundry list of all the things that he's done. And aren't you proud of me? Are you? Aren't you not still mad at me? And Mr. Moore kind of rightly. I guess says well you should actually do a little bit more and he says the words be persistent and imaginative so that inspires Dennis to be a little bit more forceful with his protest techniques and he in the midst of lunch in the cafeteria begins passing out flyers to get people on board with his push may I have your attention please <laughs> Before you inhale another forkful of what's passing for food here, beware and be aware. The macaroni and cheese is an imposter called disodium guanolate. The noodles and the chicken soup are doing the dead man's float in monosodium glutamate and dipotassium phosphate. Read all about it. The flyers tell the whole sordid story. Dennis, please, uh, uh, it is my uh, responsibility as, as lunchroom monitor to inform you. You're a scientist. Read this. Okay. He demands, as part of this, a meeting with the Board of Education. And whoever that guy in the, in what looked like a lab coat. He was a lunchroom guy. Yeah. Usually lunchroom guys don't have that kind of authority. But Yeah, he was, he was pretty, pretty uh, like, badass. Yeah, if, if there was an administrator in charge of food at a at a school this this would be the guy anyway he says that uh he, he can't and he needs to like shut up and stop standing on the tables mm-hmm. dennis says that they're not going back to class until their demands are met and then the joke is alan runs off right and then they start doing the hell no we won't go chant hell no we won't go Dr. Samuel shows up. He comes in and demands to know what's going on and tells them that they all need to go back to class. And so to push the whole thing a little bit further, Dennis then handcuffs himself to the cafeteria. And that's when the rest of the IHP, and that's the honors group, except for Alan, even Arvid, who is uh, the monitor at the, the cafeteria yeah. monitor. Yeah. And so then Dr. Samuels finally agrees to hear the demands. You see? being imaginative and persistent works. Well, yeah, yes. Except that the whole thing is uh, a crock as far as the realism of it. Like, uh, Dennis would have passed out those flyers and the kids would have been like, fuck off. And that would have been the end of it. Well, except that everybody was kind of on board with wanting to improve the food in the cafeteria. Well, yeah, but again, what universe does the school exist in (laughs) where the... People are just like shitty to each other, and they're all like, "Yeah, let's all be friends and band together." And well, they are honor students. Not everybody in the school. No, not, no, but what I'm saying is that the people who spoke up and the people who sat down together were all <laughs> honor students. So then Dennis asks Dr. Samuels if Mr. Moore could actually take their demands to the 
school board, which I think he did because only Mr. Moore could really ask for it with the kind of verve that would result in any action. This 60s. <laughs> he's he's going to open his coat jacket and all the 60s-ness is going to fly right out of the school board and they're going to have n- no recourse but to give Acquiesce. in some of their demands. So then uh, Moore receives the demands and then he agrees to take them. Then he comes back and shares with them the reality that almost none of their demands were met except for one, that the school board agreed to put in a salad bar. And I saw this episode first, first run. And yeah. I remember very distinctly Dennis saying, salad bar. We got a salad bar. Yeah. I hate salad. And I remember thinking even at the time, like, who the fuck hates salad? Especially coming from a salad bar. You can get anything you want. I guess Dennis hates salad. I didn't know what a salad bar really was I guess for a while like as a kid like really? I mean well I by high school I would have known but like you know you would have been what, what you know eight at the time and you're like you know I, I didn't go out to because uh, we had fucking Sizzler yeah I didn't go out to places like that I heard salad bar and I would think candy bar and get excited but then and I would really disappointed I can see how that would be a disappointment yeah. <laughs> Dennis kind of has a dose of reality and he he sort of accepts the fact that, you know, he's not going to get everything that he wants and that a salad bar is something. Some progress is better than nothing. Very cute suit and rebellion. Adorable. We just watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, season two, episode 20. Those were the days. Original air date, February 24th. 1992. Hey, my birthday. <laughs> Little Petey's 14th birthday. Yep. Okay, so this this is a great episode of Fresh Prince. It is one of my favorites. I don't I don't know if you'd say the same, but you have so many favorites that it might as well be. Yeah, <laughs> I have many, many, many favorites. I love so this it's hard to say. Episode starts in the kitchen, and Will is taking pictures for a photography assignment, and so is Carlton, but he's mostly taking pictures of himself because he's inspired by himself. Carlton, this is a photography <laughs> assignment, not a Prince video. Mm-hmm. Enter Jeffrey. Says that a most perturbing person is there. Uh, madam, sir, there is a most perturbing person out here who claims to be an old friend of yours. Who is it, Jeffrey? She didn't say... She was too busy calling me a pathetic servant of the capitalist fat cats. In walks a person. Uh, we get the impression that her name is Marge. Marge! She is acquainted with uh, Vivian and Phil. Mm-hmm. And this Marge tells Will that he, he looks like her old boyfriend, L. And... It turns out Elle is short for Eldridge Cleaver. And she says that Olafame and Adesimbo were in the movement with them. And then they all give the black power sign because Olafame and Adesimbo are, in fact, Phil and Vivian. Yeah. In the living room, everybody's gathered and they're talking about old times and all the... the, the way I put it in my notes, how much activism they did. Yeah. <laughs> they did a lot of activism. They, they certainly did. And, and they, they, were, they were, like, right in the heart of the famous figures of the movement. Yes, they knew a lot of people. Yeah. And they were at Woodstock. Oh, remember Woodstock? Yeah. 20 of us tried to squeeze into that tent. Vivian and I jumped into that lake naked. Yeah. <laughs> 
wasn't at Woodstock. Make it. And every every major <laughs> protest movement that occurred right, right. between yeah. 1965 and 1972. That's true. Uh, Vivian insists that Marge stay with them. Marge says... Make it. <laughs> and then continues to give Jeffrey trouble about being oppressed. I bring this up in part because... Throughout the episode, Vivian and Phil are sort of walking back the fact that they have gotten more conservative as they've gotten more <laughs> wealthy, whereas Marge has been the same. She, They ask her whether she was with a firm or whether she was on her own, and she said that she was still with the struggle. Right. And she's uh, you know, still dressed like it's the 60s. And yeah. <laughs> whereas they're living in a mansion in Bel Air, California, so they've clearly taken different paths. And although Marge does not really accuse them initially directly there's a lot of implications implications that, like, kind of sold out yeah exactly like yeah. exactly and that's all leading somewhere which is why i want to like lay that groundwork here uh cut to school classroom the photography person who i thought was <laughs> an actor like a character actor who had been in a bunch of different things i looked him up and he's been in some stuff but did you do you can you place him? Like he was I think I know who you're thinking of. And it's not it's a, it different, is, guy. It's a different guy. He was yeah. I think he's best known for his role in Lethal Weapon 3 cuz he played a detective in that, but I can't say for sure. In I fact, I can I can say for time. sure that that isn't where I know him from because I don't believe I've ever seen Lethal Weapon 3. Anyway, so he's taking a look at their projects. He seems very nice and then he like concludes the class very awkwardly by saying that they're all very special. And then Will pipes up and says, hey, wait a minute, we're supposed to turn in our permission slips to go to the Maplethorpe exhibit. And a bunch of his classmates said that their parents wouldn't sign. Now, I'm as liberal as the next guy. <laughs> but I would think that a high school trip to a Maplethorpe exhibit is really pushing it. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to imagine any high school teacher that would think that they could get away with that. I yeah. guess. College, sure. This sure. Th- is definitely like pushing it a little bit for the for the high school experience. And as it turns out, it was because then the teacher announced that he was fired as a result of <sighs> pushing for this uh, field trip. It seems that a lot of your parents just don't approve of this exhibit. And since going was my bright idea, I've been fired. What? No. Hold up. They can't do that. This is an outrage. They can't give us a new teacher now. I mean, I spent the whole semester sucking up to you. And Will's pretty pissed off. So then we cut to the kitchen, and Will is still complaining about the teacher getting fired. Apparently, it's already been two days, and Marge says... You know, you've been talking about this for the past two days. Move on it. You know what Malcolm said? By any means necessary. And then Will talks about how great it is having Marge around because he gets them, she gets them all excited and then she, she goes, gets them all hype. She, all hype. And then uh, she she makes a joke about Angela Davis putting her name on stuff in the refrigerator. Yeah. And then uh, then Marge says that Will's uh, she's she's going to give Will a name and it's Hassani which means handsome and Will of course is is pretty 
stoked he's, on that. He's pleased with that, and then he says that I got a name for you too. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just too legit to quit. <laughs> hey, that's pretty clever. Did you just think of that? Mm. Yeah. Why you like it? And that's not a good joke, but then Marge says, Marge says, "Wow, that's pretty clever. Did you think of that? Which is a good joke." Yeah, because well, it's really hard to say. At the time, I didn't fi- find uh, that to be particularly clever. Of course, is a MC Hammer song. Right. If you know the MC Hammer song, and and it, it's not, but if somebody just like brought that to you, you might you might think it. Yeah, would. be it's like it's a very well executed uh, joke. Yeah. I think. yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Uh, then Phil and Vivian enter the kitchen and. Again, I'm going into detail for a reason. Said that they should uh, grab some dinner before they see the Roberta Flack concert. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which Pete always thought sounded like a really good time. It sounds delightful. Yeah. Except the last time we grabbed dinner and went to a concert, dinner was pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. It was It was, It was. was bad pizza. Fucking pizza. Anyway, she says that she can't go, but she doesn't really give any explanation as to why. Ashley enters, and she's dressed up as Winnie the Pooh Mandela. Greetings, sister at a symbol. <laughs> Greetings, brother Lafame. Power to the people. Oh, Ash. You kind of look like Winnie the Pooh Mandela. <laughs> so, so says Will. So says Will. And she asks for an increase in her allowance, and then Phil says no. And then she goes and says that she's going to spray paint her demands on the pool house wall. And then Phil says to Marge, like, you know, oh, we like to allow free speech. Encourage free speech, yeah. yeah. And, and then he and Vivian sort of run after Ashley in order to stop her. Yeah. And again, this is the ongoing uh, Will and Vivian sort of, uh, sorry, Phil and Vivian sort of trying to cover up for the fact that they're they're not cool anymore. Then I shall spray paint my demands on the pool house wall. <laughs> we like to encourage free speech. <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> Ashley, girl, are you crazy? <laughs> Get your butt back here. Make it. <laughs> Right. In Marge's presence. With them yeah, I guess they are trying to cover it up. Yeah, they are. They're yeah. trying to minimize that as much as possible, even though, again, they're clearly living in a mansion. They clearly have a well, black the, butler. Like, the <laughs> Roberta Clack concert and dinner, it, like, it, it's like you want to go to our rich liberal fun time with right, each other. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it, that's why it sounds so pleasant. Yeah, it does sound really <laughs> pleasant. So I bet the dinner would be great. It would be great. I think it would be like at that place where... What, the Smith that we were going to eat, but then we decided it was probably too expensive. Yes, <laughs> yes. People were dressed too nicely inside, yeah, so we went would, to end Pizza. Would be that. We went to end Pizza instead. I still think about that since that was our last restaurant meal out, and I regret not just going to the Smiths and spending a lot of money because it's going to be the last time we ate in a restaurant for a really long time. <laughs> I know that's sad. I know you're traumatized. <laughs> I miss restaurants. I know. Then the phone rings and Will answers. And it ends up being the FBI looking for Uncle Phil. And when Will gets off the phone, he says to Marge, oh, well, what's wonder what the FBI wants with Uncle Phil. And then Marge ag- admits that she's on the lam. And I phrase it that way on purpose because there's a Simpsons episode called Marge on the Lamb. 
Oh, which that's yeah. exactly what's going Very on good. here. Marge is on the lam. Very good. The family convenes in the kitchen and they talk about why Marge is wanted by the FBI and she goes into a laundry list. Take your pick. I help a bunch of migrant workers bust out of an internment camp, broken into some federal buildings, shredded a few files, and <laughs> made life pretty damn difficult for the South African embassy baggies. <laughs> Man, and I thought I was doing my part by going to Spike Lee movies. <laughs> Will gets excited and is all into standing behind her. And <laughs> he gets all hype. <laughs> and then, and then Will, and Phil, and Vivian like finally openly demure and say, "Look, we have a family at this point. We really need to talk about this." They really out. finally sold out. Well, they finally admitted to selling out at this point. And then Carlton, <laughs> Carlton uh, says, "You know." Okay, Marge, we're behind you 100%. Marge leaves the kitchen, and then Carlton immediately gets on the phone with the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> Operator, get me the FBI. And then, and then this this one really, I, I don't know if it's even a controversial. It's it's something that you really really like that Ashley says. My diary has been a lot more interesting since Marge has been here. And then there's like a very perfect length of a pause, and then Carlton says. Well, I agree. Ashley's diary is a lot more interesting. It's controversial. Well, it's controversial in that it's it, it that that exchange frustrates me a little bit because of the thing with Ashley being acting younger than she is. It's like an ongoing thing. Oh where, well, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the the Carlton's uh, Carl- response is is, is the payoff is where the money is. Yeah, that's that's the one. So then cut to school, and it's the photography classroom again. Carlton is uh, circulating a petition. So he signs it, and then he passes it to Will, and he signed it, Ricky Ricardo. Will, all hype from Marge and her methods, is not willing to wait for the petition. He tries to get everybody excited about like actually taking a real physical stand. Hey, look, fellas. There ain't no point in trying to reason with the man when the man is not trying to reason with you. And a, a freaky classmate, stand. A classmate of of Will and Carlton's who's in multiple episodes. His name in the show is Kellogg Lieberbaum, but mm-hmm. Will nicknamed him Cornflake. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's with him. Right on. <laughs> what we gotta do is get up in his grill and show him that we got the power. Yes. Power to the people. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And so they're all down to protest together alone. So the rest of the class leaves the classroom. All two of them. All, both of them. And Will starts boarding the door shut. And then, of course, the handcuffs come out. And uh, Cornflake is hyperventilating. (laughs) Yo, yo, you all right, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm just hyperventilating. This is so exciting. We're, we're like the mod squad without Julie. And this Will says that these methods that they're taking will show that they mean business. So then they start chanting. Attica, 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 Attica. And this is something that when we were driving through Indiana between uh, tour stops in Cincinnati and Chicago with our brother band CatScan, uh, we passed through a town called Attica, Indiana. And mm-hmm. even though even though um, Mason and Paul had never seen this episode of, of Fresh Prince, they agreed to start chanting with us. 
as we pass through. Well, yeah, and also from uh, the notorious 2006 uh, Electric Grandmother show in Dayton, where they kicked us off. Uh, I grabbed a laptop and started chanting Attica (laughs) while on stage. I had no memory of that. (laughs) That's pretty good. Good Thank you. you. Thank you. It should be noted for, for the record that we can't prove it, but we're pretty sure that the reason that we were kicked off the stage was because Pete showed his bared ass to a room full of innocent. I'm pretty certain that's why. Innocent restaurant goers. Pretty sure. <laughs> we pretty can't sure. prove it, but we're pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, cut to the living room. And Will enters. Marge is sitting there on the couch by herself. Will enters with Vivian, Vivian and Bill. Vivian and Phil. And he's all excited telling Marge about the difference that he made at his classroom. And Vivian and Phil are less happy. And then... In fact, they are unhappy. Yeah. And so they accuse Marge of romanticizing the struggle and not not remembering all the all of the within the system stuff that they tried, you know, the petitions and, you know, go, trying to go through the administration and, like, all that, you know, boring stuff that doesn't end up with chanting Attica while you're handcuffed yourself to your classroom. Right. It's not sexy. So Marge, like, claps back. The system doesn't work. You have to blow the door down. Looks like you forgot that. And then finally crosses the line and accuses Phil and Vivian of getting soft and selling out. Yeah. Now that they're all rich and they have their big house and their kids and everything. And then, like, Phil snaps back to the 60s. You talk as if I wasn't there with you in Birmingham facing dogs and fire hoses. This is me, Olafami. The same Olafami that was with you the night Harlem went up in flames. But now I have a family, and I choose not to fight in the streets. I have an office to fight from. And I have fought and won cases for fair housing, affirmative action, health care. And I am not ashamed to write a big fat check for something I believe in. And that doesn't make me any less committed than you. So don't you dare look down your damn nose at me, Adebola. This is good because I think in the first season, they were kind of unsure as to what the political bent of the Bankses should be, and they were sort of borderline Republican, but then they, they, they changed it. They changed it to where they were a much, they were a progressive family despite being wealthy. And then it's funny because in the later seasons, they go back to being... Like kind of conservative. Yeah. 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 But this is the creamy middle. The creamy middle. <laughs> this is where you can, uh, you can feel good about, about appreciating Vivian and Phil's uh, position to a degree. Yeah, flashback is... Right. He, he 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 like you say he snaps back to the 60s he sort of goes you know flashes back in his head and starts and you know refers to her in her uh swahili name and, and it's, it's all like very the, real well it's, it's the most intense thing i mean yeah. james avery is a great actor yeah. or was a great actor and it's it's really it's really gives you goosebumps to yeah. hear him do his thing so good they say that marge is welcome to say and then also go as far as offering uh to help her if she wants to stop running cut to the kitchen marge is by herself and she's making sandwiches will asks her why she's making sandwiches and she says that she's leaving she's making sandwiches with me that's some <laughs> activist if yeah you ask me. Mm, not so sure about that mm-hmm. and then will suggests that he's going underground with her we won't be underground though i probably need another name about uh 
Uh, Bash Jenkins. <laughs> so he's like, okay, like, great, when are we leaving? And then Marge is like, whoa. She kind of sees the error in her ways, like, right away, saying that, you know, he, this, this isn't, you shouldn't just be copying me because I kind of don't have the easiest life. So why don't you try a couple of other things, see if you can find your way first, and then, you know, when, when all that other stuff doesn't work, then come see me and I'll help you be radical. Then cut to the living room and <laughs> Jeffrey lets in a man wearing a trench coat looking very governmenty. He also played the mall detective in the first season You're Halloween right, episode. He did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very good. Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jeffrey mentions that he, if, if anybody needs him, he's going to be upstairs saluting the flag, which is funnier if you can hear it in Jeffrey's accent. If you need me, I'll be upstairs saluting the flag. Because the reason he says that is because, you know, he's British. So he <laughs> wanted to reaffirm his allegiance to the United States. Very good. Yeah. As a legal immigrant. Yeah. Also very funny. The FBI agent says, okay, we're aware that, you know, you're harboring this fugitive. Do you know of her whereabouts? And he, uh, they, they, they fuck with him. Yeah. Phil asks, Phil asks him how he knows. And he says, we tap every black person's phone in the United States of America. And then like, again, the timing of, of the line delivery in this, in this episode is genius in a couple of parts. And just a little bit too soon, he says... Just a little FBI humor. <laughs> which I think the early delivery on that follow-up actually makes it a funnier line. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even give anybody a chance to react. He just <laughs> yeah. says, just a little FBI humor. And then, like, then it's very funny. Then then, then I laugh harder than I would have <laughs> if he had timed it right. So then they kind of cutely throw him off the scent by saying a lot of random stuff, none of which was true. Yeah, they're purposely like fucking with them. Yeah, so it's sort of it's sort of like I always interpreted that as them getting back to their ways, getting exactly. back to their roots, like fucking with the man. Exactly, you know? and yeah. then even like Hillary gets involved, which I th- I, I always liked too. Well, I thought she was just going to sex. Yeah, yeah. Hillary did it too. So, uh, and then well, she feels all comfortable and protected behind her parents. Yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't? Yeah, so it's good stuff. We just watched Saved by the Bell, Season 3, Episode 23, Cut Day. Original air date, December 7th, 1991, the 50th anniversary of the bombing on Pearl Harbor. Damn. Did you know that? I was in 8th grade. I had to do a report on it. Uh, so I well, yeah. I, I, the When you started reading December 7th, it obviously rang a bell. And, you know, what better way to celebrate or commemorate... <laughs> What better way to celebrate what 50 to years? Celebrate it. <laughs> uh, we open with a classroom, and this is one of two episodes featuring the student council. Of course, Jesse is there, but so it's the rest of them. I don't know why they're all on student council, but there are also like scattered other. Zach just sort of hangs around. Uh, Zach's everywhere, <laughs> but Zach is there. Kelly's there. Lisa's there. Scre- everybody's there. Jesse's presiding. Mm-hmm. They have some brief bullshit conversation where Screech says that he wants to recognize the day that Gilligan's Island was canceled. Right. right. So that was their version the of Chicago yeah. I'm the dweeb. It's a, a concept album about how Screech loses his mind because Gilligan, uh, Gilligan's Island was canceled. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
uh, and they everybody kind of rightly shoots that down because it's. They voted it down. They're like, they're like, no, the, nay. The, the nays have it. <laughs> I guess Jesse's wrapping things up and asks if anybody else has any new business. And this person, who we've never seen before, we'll never see again, stands up and he has, he's tall and he has sort of on the long, he has hair very similar to yours actually. Mm-hmm. It's kind of shaggy black hair. I suppose he's good looking. Really? I I mean, in a very perfunctory way. Like he's he's just a person. Perfunctory, good word. He, he's 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 no AC Slater, and, and that's what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. Anyway, so Graham, like his name is Graham. Yes, his name is Graham, and he he's it, it's a classic meme where nobody colon and then Graham's like. I'd like to introduce all of you to public enemy number one, the plastic phone cup. Every time we use one of these in our school, we pollute our planet because plastic foam cups are not biodegradable. And, and Jesse quickly switches to poser mode. Yeah, he's right. We need to talk to the administration. No, we need to stop tomorrow's delivery of plastic foam cups. Hey, no one's going to be here tomorrow. It's cut day, remember? It's the only reason I go to school. Zach, we need to save the planet. Yeah, Jesse has never thought about plastic foam a day in her life before this moment and now it is the only thing she can think about uh-huh. so jesse says yes i totally agree we need to talk to the administration graham says no that's not good enough we need to stop tomorrow's delivery he's like no the sexier one <laughs> so then uh belding storms the scene and he announces that yes tomorrow's cut day and he says and this is funny to me because there was a cut day in my high school that existed up until I was a senior. So it was it was mm-hmm. a thing where seniors were the ones to cut, which is not a stipulation in the Saved by the Bell universe, but it was in my universe. And they cracked down on it when That's I was pretty a senior. Typical, so we, I think. we never we never got a cut day because they suddenly decided when we were seniors that they weren't gonna put up with that anymore. Belding announces that he can't really stop everybody, anybody from cutting, but he can enforce a suspension on anybody who has 10 or more unexcused absences. And guess who has nine? Somebody here already has nine. Zach the jerk, Morris. (laughs) Zach can't cut. Belding is going to make it his personal mission for the entire day to make sure that Zach doesn't... This is a little bit strange, the way... It's very Ed Rooney of him. Yes. Yeah, yeah this is basically the same plot. It's the same plot. So, Belding has decided that he's going to make it his mission in life to prevent Zach from having any fun on cut day. And, as we'll find out, that's pretty much what happens. Cut to the hallway... Slater is telling Jesse about how they're going to have the best cut day ever. They're going to go to the beach. They're going to go to the max. They're going to do all this really fun stuff as if they don't go to the max every day. (laughs) Uh, Jesse announces, oh, I'm not going. I'm not going to any of those places. I'm not cutting because she wants to be in school. Why does she want to be in school? Not because she's afraid of getting in trouble, but... I want to guarantee the survival of the Earth's environment. Because she wants to attend the no more plastic foam protest with Graham. Which was suddenly organized and is talked about as if it's a big event. She found out about this like two minutes earlier and now she's rearranging her entire schedule for it. Right. Well, you know, I think uh, when you when you are a poser, this is you what know, it, it gets you get excited by 
ways to express your poserdom. <laughs> you know, to make yourself it appear exciting. more smart than you are. Right. And more right. interesting than you are. Slater says that's, the, you know, okay, Jesse, you do whatever you want. Meanwhile, I'll be having fun with Kelly and Zach, uh, you know, at the beach or whatever. And then Jesse, like, corrects him and says, oh, actually, no, because Belding won't let him cut. And then Zach says, well, I'll figure out something. And then he and Slater decide to make it interesting, which is an ongoing thing in Save by the Bell. Zach and Slater are constantly making bets about one thing or another. And they don't, they are very unspecific about the terms. They say, I will, basically, Slater's like, you're not going to be able to cut. Zach's like, yes, I am. A hundred bucks says I'll find a way out and spend cut day with you. Yeah. Important to note, there were no terms. No at this terms point. here, none. And so, and they place one hundred dollars on it, which at the time in twenty twenty dollars was probably about two hundred and twenty dollars. I'd say it was. Little, it was quite a lot of money. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite a bit of money for high school students, especially who don't have jobs. Might I add? I don't know where they're getting this money. Well, so, Zach's a rich prick and. But yeah. I don't know where Slater get the money. Rich don't have $200 just lying around. I uh, guess it depends on how much of a prick you are. I guess, yeah, and how much of a pushover your father is. And Derek Morris was indeed a pushover. Yeah, he was, admittedly so. Classroom, on cut day, the teacher is trying to take attendance, and then we are treated to a broad shot where it's revealed that there's only, like, three people in the class, including Zach Graham. It was a real treat. <laughs> Zach Graham and Jesse and then they start talking about whatever their discussion was from the previous day which Jesse reminds the teacher was a discussion about the obvious benefits of having a female president which again I've been to school I, that's not really a topic of conversation that you have in a class well I've never been to school so, so I wouldn't you, you know. have no opinion on no that. frame of reference <laughs> Then this gives Graham an opportunity to further cream Jesse's jeans and goes on and on and on about how the U.S. needs to catch up with other countries. Well, I think it's about time that the United States caught up with the rest of the world. I mean, they've had Margaret Thatcher in England, uh, Indira Gandhi in India, Golda Meir in Israel. What? <laughs> Nothing. I just, I didn't know there was a male brain capable of that kind of thinking. He cites Margaret Thatcher as a great example of a beacon of progress because of her gender, despite the fact that she's basically Lady Reagan. Lady Reagan it sounds like a professional wrestler. <laughs> it does. Uh, Belding checks in. He finds Zach and is evidently satisfied with that. Well, good morning, Zach. Belding leaves. A nerd comes in and calls it's Zach. Franklin. Yes. Call Zach to the library. Zach Morris to the library. You owe $86 in overdue books, and the librarian is shouting in a whisper for her money. And this gives Zach an excuse to leave. Just an out. He's ready to go. Cut to the max. Uh, I didn't include this in my notes, but I feel like I have to mention the groundwork for Screech and Lisa, like, kind of hanging out all day. So basically, like, Lisa had a really bad time. Because she was stuck with Screech all day because Slater and, and Kelly were just distracted with each other. Yeah. Anyway, Slater and Kelly are looking awfully cozy. Like, as cozy as, as two people should. 
he's got his hands all over her, teaching her how to play at billiards. Is that or is that what they were playing? Um, bumper pool. This bumper pool. Yeah. Okay. They were playing a game that involves sticks and balls. <laughs> Just let the stick slide through your fingers, okay, Kelly? That's what she said. <laughs> They then okay, so then Zach shows up, and this is shocking to Slater, and it's revealed that Franklin felt Franklin helped on the condition that Zach would help him push through his Mr. Ed resolution. So, as Pete pointed out while we were watching this episode, that like nerds nerds are defined as people who enjoy watching television. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or at the very least, something that like regular, everyday, normal people don't do, <laughs> which I, th- I think is um, why the Electric Grandmother of the Band was so successful. <laughs> it really touched on a uh, unique aspect of our culture. <laughs> the not the huh niche. Yes. Yeah. Or well, niche the it's the true rebellious nature of the. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good call. That admitting that you enjoy TV in the '90s was rebel. It was like yeah, it was like you were you were in the clash. Essentially, that's yeah, how, that's how, how powerful we are. Yep. It's at this point where they finally discuss the actual terms of the bet, and as Pete pointed out again while we were watching, the bet should have been off at this point because Zach is all relaxed here at this first check-in. This what? is cut day, not cut class. You don't win the bet unless you show up everywhere we go all day long. You want me to sneak out of every single class? Hey, if you can't do it, Preppy, then I guess you uh, lose. Yeah, he just threw in that uh, that rule there. Yeah. Out of nowhere, I'm I just like, all right. Well, so we didn't agree on the terms. It bets off. Exactly, and I would also say that Sla- that Zach is actually being, like, taking the 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 reasonable course here. That you would assume that it would just need to be once, and not every single time. Slater changes location. That's really unfair because taken to like, if Slater really wanted to win this bet, and he didn't care about having a good time that day, he could just keep moving. Like, he's like, I'm going to go to the beach, then I'm going to go to Magic Mountain, then I'm going to go to this other restaurant, then I'm going to go back to the Max, and, like... Yeah, like, every period of the day, he changed location. Yeah, that's pretty much what he did, though. And that's that's why the bet is faulty. He didn't do it that much, though. He he, he only did it, like, maybe, what, four times? Uh, We'll get into that. So, for some reason, Zach goes along with this. Fine. Next thing you know, we're in a classroom. It's the next period. Zach comes back. There's a lot of Zach and Mr. Belding kind of being out of breath during this episode, and this is no exception. Graham and Jesse are in this same class. Again, I guess they have all the same classes as Zach. Let's well, keep it interesting. Well, there were no rules on this day of cut. This day of cut. <laughs> <laughs> so the teacher kind of says, I don't care what you do. And then Graham and, and Jesse start discussing the their their protest signs. How's this one? Plastic foam. The choice of idiots. <laughs> the single worst thing anybody has ever said. Like that's it's not funny, it's not catchy, it's not alliterative, it's not a reference to anything. It's terrible. It's gonna make those of us who enjoy drinking out of plastic foam cups and feel, throwing feel, them in the garbage feel insulting. self-conscious. It's insulting <laughs> to those of us who enjoy throwing things away. <laughs> <laughs> 
the slogans that they actually end up using are not bad because they do rhyme they are alliterative and they do reference something familiar so they're easier to remember okay let's see what we got uh drink now die later <laughs> go home plastic phone oh wait, wait this one's my favorite it's time to wake up drink from a paper cup it's protest poetry i love it the best one the only example i'm gonna throw out there is uh go home plastic foam because it's my favorite yeah zach like leaves and he kind of he takes a jar of red paint with him and then he comes back and then belding shows up and belding actually looks pretty disappointed to find zach and that's that's where this game of cat and mouse is like really kind of heating up here because belding really wants to catch him then you hear a voice over the loudspeaker. Again, we don't really know who this person is. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, that occasionally when it's convenient, Belding has a secretary. Mr. Belding, your car is being towed. You parked it in a red zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big call. I don't know where she's sitting, because like, normally like an executive assistant would be sitting like right outside of the office, but there's no space for that. Well, it's I feel like, too, that he's been in his office, and he suddenly gets... Yeah, paged by this person. Person, I don't. Yeah, there's no office at this school. I don't know where any of this could possibly be situated based on what we know. The convenient central location of the principal's office, which is not realistic in any school ever. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Apparently, Belding parked his car in a red zone. You parked it in a red zone. Not true. Zach painted the curb where Belding's car was. Dastard. (sighs) Always one step ahead. Cut to the movie theater. (laughs) The movie theater in Saved by the Bell, which... Has been used in many, 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 many episodes. With the folding chairs. And, and yeah, I was going to mention that. <laughs> that the, the instead of the nice plush mu- movie chairs that, that, I mean, it was the 90s. So they didn't have the nice reclining chairs that we're uh, treated to in today's world. But they certainly had normal plush movie chairs that, that you know, expanded and retracted just like no, not in not in Saved by the Bell Land. In Saved by the Bell Land, they have those uh, padded folding chairs in like four rows, and that's the extent of the of the movie theater. So we find Kelly and Slater are they're having a nice relaxing time without Jesse, and Slater almost passively aggressively like lists all the reasons that he's glad that Jesse's not there. You know, Kelly, I am really glad we came here. <laughs> Jesse wouldn't go to this kind of flick in a million years. Well, I love a good scare. I saw Revenge of the Zombie Headhunter seven times. Oh, I really wanted to see that one. But Jesse wouldn't go because I couldn't convince her that zombie headhunters were feminists. <laughs> so they get super cozy as well. Um, in walks Zach, and Zach kind of has this quick conference with uh, Screech and Lisa, who are, again, hanging out together. We find out that... Off on their own, yeah. Yeah, we find out that Screech, for some reason, has come into the possession of several boxes of insect candy. So, like, candy that is made with insects is an important plot point. I also wanted to note that Zach sees Slater and Kelly snuggling and is primarily concerned about how Jesse would respond to this. So... If you've seen, like, half an episode of Saved by the Bell once when you were 10, you know that Zach and Kelly are the one true pair. They are, you know, they get married at the end of the series and live happily. Spoiler alert. Right. Yes. (laughs) So, Zach is 
and there mm-hmm. there are several episodes where Zach and Slater are directly competing for Kelly's affection. That's not happening here, though. Is, is it, Zach right. is more of an observer in this time period. Like, he's just sort of a free agent. And also being kind of a great friend, which is really out of character for him. Yeah, like, the fact that he cared about Slater and Jesse is really uh, unusual. It's, it's like, he didn't put himself first. He wasn't, like, into his own scheme. He was mainly concerned about his friends and their feelings. Zach goes ahead and does the required check-in with Slater in order to get credit for showing up at this venue that Slater decided on. So, like, he's blowing little money on travel and movie tickets. And oh God, how much did most of this have cost him? And he only watched, like, five minutes of the zombie headhunters. Well, I don't think he cared about the movie. He cared about his friend Slater and Jesse. What do you think the odds are that Zach blew more than $100 on transportation, admission, costumes? He painted the curb so Mr. Bellin's car got towed, which is going to be expensive. That's going to be expensive, yes. And then later something even worse happens. Right. So we'll get to that. Right. So then cut back to the Bayside High hallway. And Graham and Jesse are, like, standing with their signs, like, right in front of the cafeteria entrance. And we know because there's this very bad sign on top of the double door entrance that says cafeteria. It's, like, written in bubble letters that aren't filled in. It's very poor looking. I don't know if I noticed that. Cheers to the Saved by the Bell uh, um, set designers. For once. (laughs) Normally they're on point. (laughs) So they're all ready to po- protest, and Zach kind of walks by. He's like, hey, what's going on? Like, I, I don't care about this idiotic protest that you guys are staging. Well, at that point, he's just sort of, like, casually, like, oh, hey, what's hey, up? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then Belding, like, kind of intercepts him. and he Surprises him. He's, like, he f- Belding is sure he's got him. He's got him exactly where he wants him. He's finally caught him trying to cut. Mm-hmm. And he asks Zach what he's doing, and then... Pete's favorite exchange in all of Saved by the Bell occurs. Uh-huh. <laughs> this time I caught you. What do you think you're doing? Uh, wh- what am I doing? Uh-huh. Um, um, uh, I'm exercising my right to protest. Yes. Uh-oh. Power to the people. Right on. Go team. Go. <laughs> A very funny moment. It's very funny. <laughs> It's one of, like he says, one of my favorite moments. I think the audio will do it justice. Like the like both the video and the audio at the same time is pretty good, but I think just the audio is probably enough for you to understand how good it is. Um, uh, I'm exercising my right to protest. Yes. Uh-oh. Then the poor delivery man shows up, and this poor guy making minimum wage has nothing to do with plastic foam. He's, he's like kind of elderly too. He's not. He's not. He's no spring chicken. <laughs> So, uh, Jesse and Graham, like, aggressively yell at him. Here he is! One, two, three, four, don't use plastic foam no more! Yeah, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They get right in his face, and he's he's just trying to he's do his terrified. job. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Zach, for, the, for, for Belding's benefit, joins the protest, and uh, Belding very reasonably kind of tells him to get a life. And present a petition to the school board instead of just doing this showy, idiotic stand, <laughs> making this poor man scared. I mean, if you weren't job, 
if, if you weren't a numbskull 16 year old wouldn't you feel stupid after that it's like oh yeah why didn't i think why, of acting why normal we take step one and <laughs> step 50 god fuck you need to talk to marge and people. again ha- ha- attacking person really has nothing, nothing to do with to anything do. And they're like mad at him. Anyway, so they're they're dejected, and despite getting this pretty decent advice from Belding, they're like, "Oh well, our protest failed." Yeah. And and Graham says <laughs> in front of Zach, "Hey Jesse, Graham, we failed." No, we didn't. If we convinced even one person, then we succeeded. Right, Zach? Graham, you failed. <laughs> All right, so beach. Now we're at the beach, and Slater and Kelly continue to be really inappropriate with each other, and Screech and Lisa continue to hang out for mysterious reasons. Zach shows up, and he's in coveralls, and I guess Kelly asks him, why are you wearing coveralls? And he sort of puts a bow on the whole thing, saying that some poor school staff member is taking his French uh, test. janitor. Like earning the janitor taking my French test. Yeah. It's like like Eddie the janitor would be like, Okay, Zach, I'll do that for you. Yeah, I'm not sure what motivated the janitor to take (laughs) his French test. Yeah. To to I mean, I think he probably reports to Belding, so he's basically trying to like He's like, All right, Zach, I'll take your French test. (laughs) Screech Screech gives Zach a box of chocolate-covered grasshoppers for his trouble. I think, right? That was the context of it. Like, I don't know. He's Zach like, is like kind of tired and he's like kind of freaked out. And Screech is like, "There, there, buddy. Here, take this box of candy. <laughs> box of insect candy. <laughs> that is candy made out of insects and not insect candy." Was ti- tired and freaked out. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was just a little worn out from running around all day. Anyway, not important. Zach and Slater mentioned to each other how, despite not coming up with terms on this agreement, they somehow got on the same page at some point. And they agreed that there's just one more checkpoint for for Zach to make it to. The max. And it has to be... Well, this is the second visit to the fucking max. Like, he was already at the max. I don't understand this bad. Well, the first first max visit was games. (laughs) This was food. This is food. (laughs) Good point. That's how you can parse apart the two <laughs> max checkpoints. Kelly and Zach kind of have this little sidebar where Kelly acknowledges that she feels kind of icky about how cuddly she and Slater have been, given the fact that Slater is the boyfriend of like Jesse's her, boy, her, her close friend, if not best friend, right? Oh, female relationships are really downplayed on this uh, on this show. So they are, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're minimized. They're, they 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 end up being like basically slumber parties, and we're sitting around sewing, right? More or less. Yeah, uh, we've been watching Saved by the Bell since the '90s together, and in the last year or so, my patience with one ongoing joke is wearing wafer thin at this point and that is the fact that this the teachers on Saved by the Bell often have these disabilities that and I'm not offended by it it's just boring like so Mrs. Culpepper wears really thick coke bottle glasses and her that she's she can't see there's another one who can't hear one right of them talks too fast like but mainly the can't see and can't hear twins like 
I get so tired when they show up because I don't, it's not funny. It was never funny. It wasn't funny in, you know, 1991 right. and it's not funny now. Like, right. and it goes on, they stretch it out so thin. Like it's, it's the cause of, and, 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 and it's the cause of so many plots and it's so boring and I still don't care about it. And it shows up here in this episode. So fucking Mrs. Cole Pepper. Ha ha. She can't see. It's great. Zach is all like overconfident about it as a result of Mrs. Culpepper not being able to see two feet in front of her face. Um, then enter Belding. <laughs> Mr. Belding ha- announces that Mrs. Culpepper has won $2 million in the lottery. Mrs. Culpepper, Mrs. Culpepper, congratulations. We just received this telegram. You have won $2 million in the lottery. Oh! I'm so happy for you. Oh, I don't care what you think. Good riddance to you and my lousy salary. It, it turns out that uh, Slater set this up. Mm-hmm. And he had to know that she did play the lottery. You know? And yeah. that... Uh, so what I, what I was referring to earlier as far as the worst thing, like, he, Slater, like, ruined her life and cost <laughs> her her job for, like, this bet with Zach. It's true. Okay, so now that you bring it up, usually a lottery winner is the first person who knows if they win a lottery. Like, the lottery commission isn't going to send a telegram to the fucking school. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, hey, by the way, we, <laughs> we, one of your teachers won a lottery. We looked through our records and we realized that <laughs> the lottery, <laughs> this lottery drawing that happened in the middle of the day is your teacher. Yeah, okay, so that's clearly bullshit and yeah you're right i want to know what happens after this like wh- when does mrs culpepper find out that she didn't actually win the lottery and what does she do about it i mean i don't think we ever see her again it's possible that we do and i just have the timelines mixed up but i, I mean i don't know not. i guess she had to go crawling back to mr belding who no, said that she was attractive without her glasses so he did so maybe maybe he's he, a little bit softer yeah touch. yeah yeah as a result yeah. he's got a bit of a crush all right, so uh, then Zach's phone rings, his famous big Zach Morris phone, and it's Slater. And he rightly predicted that in Mrs. Culpepper's absence, Mr. Belding would be taking this project on himself and be watching Zach like a hawk. Hello? Did Mrs. Culpepper get my telegram yet, Preppy? Slater, what are you up to? You'll see, because if I know Belding... All right, put that phone away, Zach. You are finishing the day right here at school, and I am staying here with you to keep you company. Rest of you may go. Gotcha, Preppy. Then Belding has the nerve to let everybody else go home, except Zach, who needs to stand there to sit, sit there till the better, bitter end. Belding admits when they're alone together that he's tired and hungry because he's been chasing Zach around all day. Zach suddenly gets the idea of the very convenient plot device that Screech laid down in giving Zach a box of chocolate-covered grass. You notice at the beach he puts it in his backpack. Yes, he does. Note. Note that. That's Note a clue. That. That's a clue for what's going to happen later on. So, Zach whips it out. That's what she said. (laughs) And (laughs) gives Belding a chocolate-covered grasshopper, and he gratefully eats it. And he's, like, really into it, too. Like, he's 
really demonstrating how much of a relief demonstrating the deliciousness (laughs) (laughs) and then zach tells him he's grass they're grasshoppers and then mr belding gets physically ill and runs out of the classroom exactly that's how this douchey laugh crunchy parts of thorax (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this at following the douchey laugh he is free to leave because belding is heaving his guts out in the bathroom that sounds awful i'm sure it was he was like hungry too so he was hungry and then he, he was went dry heaving <laughs> yeah <laughs> awful. that's like causes your blood cell count to go down <laughs> jesus poor building he's okay zach is on his way out and then he runs into jesse and graham who are casually hanging out in the hallway and then mention that they're on their way to the max as well and calls Graham pale face. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and then Zach like suddenly s- snaps out of character completely and sacrifices his own winnings in order to save the relationship. Well, he breaks so the fourth what- wall and is talking to us, the audience. Yeah. Not okay. If Jesse sees Slater with Kelly and Slater sees Jesse with Graham, cut day becomes kill day. A really solid line. Cut day becomes kill day. I don't it even is. know what to say about it. It's so good. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's a part of our, part of our uh, Daily cultural lexicon. soup. <laughs> cultural soup. Cultural soup. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> so Zach makes it his mission to save Slater and Jesse's relationship. Why doesn't Jesse think that there is a chance that Slater would be at the max? Maybe she wanted to get caught. That's the thing. But I don't know why Zach didn't factor that in. It, I don't. It almost seemed like it, I would. I would have thought it would make more sense if he didn't think he was going to win the bet. But he could have won the bet. But suddenly he's like, "Wait, I care about my friends." Right. Exactly. It, it just is it really is weird. Very odd. And also, he could have, he could have still made the effort to win the bet and taken steps to try and save the relationship too. Like Jesse, don't go. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. instead, he kind of lingers behind Graham and Jesse, like scram. And then Mr. Belding catches Zach on his way out. With the last second. And so Zach needs to deal with Belding real quick, and he offers him another piece of candy. This is, uh, you know, another example of Saved by the Bell writers really flexing their muscles here. That it worked the first time, so he has a different kind of insect candy. This time it's a caramel caterpillar. Which is obviously not caramel. As you pointed out, it's a Twix bar. It looks like a Twix bar, yeah. That they grab out of there. Out of the machine. Out of George Costanza's mechanics machine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, so then, uh, Belding eats it. He reveals that it's a caramel caramel caterpillar. And then Belding goes into the drive heaves again. Yeah, at this point, it's like he's probably due for a hospital visit. (laughs) His blood cell count is so far down. He's, His blood cell he's count is five. Anemic. He's anemic by this time. Yes. Zach manages to beat Jesse to the max, but arrives just in time to lose the bet. Now, again, I'm not going to parse out the possibilities within the space-time continuum. I don't know who has what kind of transportation. In any case, Zach You don't know how far away the max is. I pictured it like... I think it's on the next block. A couple blocks away. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think like it's quite close because I think there is there was one time where the cafeteria was actually the max. Like, they go there for lunch kind of thing. There was one or two episodes where that was... Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. And, like, the max was, like, owned by Bayside. I don't know. There was a lot of... I don't think it is there was a lot of shit thrown in for convenience like the max is going to close down therefore 
the school board can do something about it, and that's why we all need to band together to save it. That happened. Once. That's a whole other can of worms. Anyway, so so Zach is trying to distract Slater while Jesse and Graham enter the Max, and again, I feel like both of them should have expected to get you know quote caught in these situations, and I I think that it's a fair assessment to say maybe they wanted to get caught because they were not trying to hide well it's almost like jesse didn't care uh slater and kelly hanging out doesn't look like anything you know unless they're like curling on the beach if they're just hanging out they're sitting together it doesn't look like anything because they're also with the rest of the gang yeah and they're obviously had always been friends whereas jesse and this mysterious pale man (laughs) you know are not so (laughs) Then uh, Jesse and Slater sit down and have a frank discussion, and they kind of agree to see other people, but they also agree to see each other, but I don't know how serious they are about that. It seemed like just like a cop-out to make the situation a little bit less sad. Poor Zach is out $100, and Jesse and Slater agree to see other people anyway. It's kind of a, like, we we did all this work for no payoff (laughs) sort of situation but which was the episode in general i guess yeah no it was there is there's just a lot of hustle for for no real reason say by the bell